I Love Mortgage Brokering, episode 124. The only podcast for brokers, by brokers. I Love Mortgage Brokering will inspire you to up your mortgage business. Join your host, Scott Peckford. Hey, Broker Nation. Scott Peckford here from I Love Mortgage Brokering. Before I talk about our guest that's on the show today, I just want to share with you something that has been that I sort of learned and I, maybe it'll be useful to you. So I've been in the process of looking for a new office and I was out hunting and I found a couple companies that were looking to sublease their office. And so both of these companies were actually had outgrown their space because their businesses had got too big and they were needed somebody to sublease it. And what I found is that I was able to negotiate a sublease that was actually about 66% of what the full lease was. And so the current tenant is paying for me to be in that office for the next 24 months, which is fantastic. And so I, what I what I realized is that if you are looking at negotiating lease space, good idea is to, if a company is fast growing, they usually have cash. They usually have to move. If somebody's downsizing, they're not going to be as up open to negotiation because it's for them it's a big it's a liability and they probably couldn't afford it. That's why they're downsizing. But somebody who's outgrowing their space is a great person to negotiate with. So I've had some great experience with negotiating a lease if in that situation so try that out and if you ever do and it works or if you have any other lease stuff shoot me an email i'd love to hear it and this episode today i have jeevan sangera and he's part of the dlc network in burlington ontario he started as a maytag salesman and somebody had said to him what the hell are you doing here and sort of prompted him on a path of working for mcap and then becoming a mortgage broker for the last 11 years he's a top mortgage top He's on the CMP Magazine Top 20 Small Market Brokers in Canada, and he shares how mentoring has really helped him shape him and get him to where he is today. He also talks about how he recently, he was in a real estate office for eight years or a period of eight years and what prompted him to move out and get his own office. I think it's a fantastic interview. Jeevan has a uh, heart for his own taking care of his clients and that's why he's successful. I think you're going to enjoy this interview. Before we get to the interview, this episode is sponsored by Pioneer West Acceptance Corp. Pioneer West is a private lender in BC and Alberta. Now, normally when I have a sponsor for the show, it's because I personally use their product or service and I can give it my 100% recommendation. In this case, it's a little different. I've decided to do some background checking on the crew at Pioneer West and I found that everyone I talked so they were fast, down to earth, and underwrote deals if they made sense, which is exactly what you're looking for in a B lender. Another cool thing about Pioneer West is they still have money to lend. I've been hearing some lenders are actually running low on cash, not these guys. So if you're a broker who's looking for a lender for your next B deal in BC or Alberta, check out Pioneer West and tell them you heard about them from I Love Mortgage Brokering. They're big supporters of our community and we've cooked up some pretty cool giveaways inside the Facebook group, the I Love Mortgage Brokering Facebook group. Check them out at pioneerwest.com and check out this interview. I think you're going to love it. Hey, Jeevan, welcome to the show. Todd, how are you today? Great. So no one as a little kid says, hey, when I grow up, I want to be a mortgage broker. So tell me about your path to getting into the mortgage business. Uh, well, sure. Um, I don't know where you want me to start, but I'll, I'll start in university. So uh, I was lucky enough to finally graduate uh, with a degree in business economics and labor studies at Brock University. Uh, and I was working part time for an appliance shop called the Maytag store because my dad's had a laundromat since I was seven. So we have a good relationship with Maytag and I was working there part time. It was a, a fateful Sunday and I call it fateful because I didn't want to go to work. I was well hung over from the night before. But I met a lady there and uh, that lady changed my life that day. Her name was Val Martin. I still credit her for bringing me into this industry. I'd have to credit her and another gentleman named Brian DeVries who set the table for me uh, as to where I am today. 
So I was working for Maytag part-time selling appliances. You know, my biggest concern was making sure I had money for beer on the weekend and gas in my Mustang. I had planned on doing some traveling as I'd finally graduated university. And uh, while I was there, I, I met this lady. I sold her 14 grand worth of appliances. And uh, while I was showing her fridges, she asked me what the hell I was doing there. That's a funny I thought I ask you. Yeah, so uh, I thought I defended her, and I was like, you know, I'm really just explaining what a dual cool thermostat is, but you know, I do apologize. And and uh, and that was actually, if you were to take a look at that one static, you know, turning point, you know, standing in front of that refrigerator is still as clear as day to me, and it changed my life. So. It was at that point Val said to me that you know she was looking for somebody to be a regional manager for a, for a finance company, and you know I'd been approached in the mall by Amway and Prime America and all of the above, and uh, so I respectfully declined and I said, you know, ma'am, I'm really not interested in Prime America, and uh, she used an expletive and said, uh, son, I work for Canada's largest independent mortgage company, and uh, it's safe to say I put my foot in my mouth right away, apologized. Explain the fact that I'd been approached many times by these multi-level sales companies, and the rest is history. I was lucky enough to get interviewed by Brian DeVries, and uh, I think I was the youngest business development manager ever hired by MCAP Mortgage Corporation. I managed Toronto Central for them, which was Mississauga Brampton, and uh, made some great friends, and uh, established a launch pad for where I am today. You know, a lot of new brokers starting out strive to build relationships in the in the industry I was lucky enough to already have those relationships and you know not that I had a lot of volume to begin with because I had the exact opposite of that but what I did have is I had the respect of some very uh, some very intelligent people who I'm happy to say still give me that respect today and for that I'll be forever grateful so then how did you go from MCAP to brokering so what happened there Oh, it's pretty simple, man. So, you know, I've been uh, I've been in sales since I was 15, 16 in retail and then, you know, summer jobs with companies like Pepsi and, and being reps for places. And it, it's pretty simple. You know, I, I had a nice little Mustang at the time and some of my brokers will still remember it. But, um, you know, you pull up in a Mustang and your client leaves in a Maserati, you, you start to look at what are they doing that I can't do. And when I was doing those equations, I couldn't see the difference. I believed that I could do what they did just as well as they do. And um, for me, it was when, uh, you know, it was about three months before I was getting married. And uh, hindsight being 2020, maybe my timing wasn't the best. But three months before I got married, it was April of 2005. You know, my my previous manager had been replaced, who was Val Martin, and I didn't feel the obligation to be there anymore. And with that, I moved onwards. So three months before getting married, you decide, hey, I'm going to give up a, a salary and go on commission. So how was the first year? <laughs> um, so the first year I made $8,000. Wow. $8,000. My wife, you know, I don't really share this with people. So my wife had gotten a visa. So I was 28 at the time. My wife was 23. Uh, thank God we lived with my parents because otherwise we probably would have been homeless. But I remember she got approved for a, a $5,000 visa card or something or maybe $8,000 visa card. And uh, it was like a lottery for us because, you know, as newlyweds, obviously you want to experience things and and travel and do all of that. But with the position I'd put us in, 
I, I didn't really do something that was conducive to to being able to enjoy a lot of things, only earning 8K and her just finishing university. So, you know, hindsight being 2020, maybe I should have waited, but it all happens for a reason. And uh, I believe that my first year at 8K is a part of my story because when I'm meeting new agents, you know, I had I came in with some of the best relationships you could imagine, having learned from some of the best people in this industry, a lot of which have been on this podcast, which is a, another reason I, I feel very fortunate to be invited here today. And, you know, it's you walk out of those doors and you have the expectation that you're going to put up a board and because of your background, people will deal with you. But what you'll learn very quickly is people don't give a where you came from. Uh, it's all about how good was your last deal and what sort of relationship do you have with them personally. So while it was something I expected to be able to open doors for me, it did not. But to the same effect, I was able to lean on my contacts from the past. You know, a lot of people, and I'm going to go off on a tangent here for a second, but a lot of people often question the value of, you know, our camp conferences or this year, our mortgage professional Canada conference. I was at that camp conference. I think it was still symbol at the time. I ran into an old contact of mine who had transitioned away from the brokerage he was working with. He was, uh, he was running a deal center for a major national brokerage. So he had joined a group and, uh, joined a, a major mortgage company. And, he hadn't seen me in a bit. I didn't go the year before. So it was my second year in the business when I finally went to the conference. That set in motion some very quick events to get me in-house at the the first real estate company I, I worked in-house for. It was called, uh, well, is called Royal LePage Niagara. Brad and Margie Johnstone and their son Ryan were kind enough to invite me in. And, you know, it's not that it changed my life, but it did change my life because it's amazing how much of a used car salesman you're treated like as a mortgage agent. When you're in-house, it just it, it doesn't put deals at your door, but it establishes legitimacy. People understand that you're there for a reason. So uh, that led me to that relationship, and then that relationship led me to – so the Royal LePage led me to DLC, and uh, I've been with DLC since. And that DLC led me to Royal LePage Realty Plus, a gentleman named uh, Carlo Rachopo uh, has been very instrumental to my success, allowing me to have been in-house there for almost four years. And uh, just recently, we, we've transitioned out of that scenario and are no longer in-house in any real estate company and have established four offices of our own. There's lots of good stuff in there. So you basically kind of the thing that springboarded your business, you knew what you're doing because you understand lending. You come from a BDM background, but building yep. your business, there's, there's always a a learning curve. You get into the real estate office and now you've kind of done that for several, how many years were you in real estate offices? Just about eight. And so what, why, what's the, cause I used to be in a real estate office. I'm just curious, what's your sort of reason rationale for moving away from a real estate office now? Well, the, the company that, uh, so the Royal LePage that I was recently with, you know, when you're in-house in a real estate office, it's a great opportunity to be around people that are obviously doing transactions on a daily basis. But those people always have their relationships outside of the office as well. And what I found is, is that while it established legitimacy, you know, I had difficulty penetrating beyond about 15% of their transactions. Uh, realistically, probably about 10% of their transactions is something I was a part of. And you know, to that effect, it's it just becomes highest and best use of time and talent. So while it was great to be in-house somewhere, uh, often, 
you feel more like a staff member than an independent business professional. And for me, it was just time. It was time to be, you know, getting our own real estate and putting up our own banner and transitioning to the next phase of my business. And when I look back, I'm very, very thankful to the people whose names I mentioned, you know, Carlo Ricciopo, uh, Margie Spence, uh, you know, all of these people, Brad Johnston, they gave me an opportunity to show what I could do. And it worked well. I just feel like it had run its course and, and my business has matured. Uh, when I take a look at my own book of business, more than seven out of 10 of my deals were coming from areas outside those offices. So it became, you know, it, it just seems more effective for me because I am very realtor centric to have an office that they can, themselves can use as a satellite office when they're doing any deals in Burlington or in any of our other locations. But at the same time, having our space allows us to deal with all of our other realtors as well. So uh, a lot of times, you know, realtors transition between firms and they weren't quite as comfortable having their clients attend an office that they were no longer employed with to sign up. Mm-hmm. And so, is so you know, you were honestly always trying to refill that bucket. And now, you know, as our bucket fills, there, there's no real reason for people to fall off. Right. So actually brings me to a question. So how you're getting seven out of 10 of your deals are coming from outside the office. So a lot of database clients or past clients, client referrals? You know, I wish I could say they were. So one thing about me is, is that I've been doing this as a one man show with an assistant. There's one thing I could change about my business. It would be my database management. I'm very good at developing the new widget and building that new relationship and getting the new clients on board. And we have clients that are great advocates for us. For me, if I understand a program very well and I understand how it's working in a linear fashion, it's very easy for me to apply when there's multiple softwares involved and stuff like that. I find I just I I revert to what I know best, and that is, is new deals. So that's actually something that I've been working on for about the last year and a half to really shore up because, you know, back when you were doing $10 million in volume, it was fine. You know, you had time to do everything. Mm-hmm. But as your volume levels grow, you really have to be able to hand it off and trust people with it. And not that I'm a control freak uh, in any way, shape or form, but I've always had a hard time handing things off. That's what I've been working on recently. So for those seven out of 10 deals, they're coming from other realtors, financial planners, uh, lawyers, accountants, friends, Facebook, Twitter. And then um, recently I was also interviewed by CBC uh, a couple times for their program, The Exchange. Uh, that's been great in adding legitimacy. The The post reach of that one first interview I did was more than anything contrived that I've ever tried to do in social media to uh, to build awareness. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I hope to get opportunities to do that again and to, to participate in, in media more because it, it does crank my chain. But, you know, a, a large percentage of our business is past clients. But all I'm saying is, is that I personally don't do enough to really farm those relationships like I do with realtors and, and other things. So that's something that moving forward is actually uh, very important to me on the technology side of things. Mm-hmm. You know, media is a very powerful way to get access. Oh, yeah, it's a pretty, it's some stuff that I've played with in the past. I wrote a book a few years ago called How to Rob Your Bank. And it's amazing how you use, when you use media as a form of marketing. And I won't go off on a tangent on that, but I'm definitely a big fan of it. So I want to ask you about a success quote that's really had an impact on your life or business. I love quotes. Our office has got them all over the walls. So can you share one that's really had an impact on you and then how you've applied it? 
Sure. Uh, it's very simple. Success is a journey, not a destination. I call people that work hard grinders. And, you know, the, the grind is something that I live day in, day out. And I've surrounded myself with other people that are achievers. Just listening to the brilliance of those people, you know, I hope by osmosis and being in their vicinity uh, that I can gather some of it. But my quote really is, success is a journey, not a destination. And I think I read that probably in grade 11 or 12. And it's it's been written on my mirrors. It's been on my rear view mirror in the car, along with another saying that said, drive it like you stole it. So that would be the one. And, you know, the journey portion is, is that a lot of people and, you know, and, and I was a victim of it. And I was a victim of my own ego that way, where, you know, when I told you I made $8,000 in my first year, uh, it's not a lie. I still have that T4. And, you know, I expected success to be a destination that I was going to open the doors and people were going to say, oh, dude, you're awesome. Uh, we only want to deal with you. And you're the, you know, you're the authority on mortgages. And it, it doesn't happen. There's a, a gentleman named Cliff Baird, who I was lucky enough to watch speak while I was a member of Royal LePage Realty Plus. And uh, even his thing was, was that if you're not grinding daily, you're not going to feel it today and you're not going to feel it tomorrow. You're going to feel it 90 days down the road and 90 days down the road, you're going to be looking for your paycheck and it's not there because you didn't do what you were supposed to do three months ago. And this is part of the reason I don't take vacations uh, as much as I should. Uh, This year I have maybe taken two days off. I, I answer my phone whenever it rings. My wife respects that part of our business and my realtors know um, and my referral sources know very simply that if I was not able to take your call, it's either because I'm sitting with somebody or because I really didn't see the phone ring because it can be midnight. I, I sent somebody a, a, a qualification summary last Friday night at 11.53 p.m. while I was sitting in the parking lot waiting for a buddy of mine. What is it? What's a qualification summary? What is that specifically that you're sending? Oh, so um, so it was my own fault, actually. I got lost in the day. So uh, qualification summary, my realtor was looking to make an offer the next morning and was wondering if her client was going to be able to go up a little bit uh, in mortgage amount. So I ran the numbers while sitting in the parking lot and sent her a summary. Okay, so it's kind of like a pre, is it like a pre-approval letter or is it just more? So yeah, so I never use the word pre-approval. I do not use the word pre-approval. I think that's one of the worst terms in our industry. Because until CMHC and Genworth start looking at applications and all applications, there's no such thing as a pre-approval. It's a rate hold device. So I call them pre-qualifications because until a lender sees it, there's no such thing as a real pre-approval. Now, there, I know there is a couple lenders out there that underwrite pre-approvals, but with them not being underwritten at best rate and not being uh, available for promotions uh, on previously pre-approved deals, uh, we just don't do them. So we do a very thorough underwrite of our clients on the front end. And we always suggest people use a finance condition. This market doesn't really allow for it. So we give them a pre-qualification and give them a rate band, letting them know that based on today's marketplace, this is what they'll qualify with. And that if there's anything outside that range on either side, to just contact us and uh, we'll calculate it in the specific one-off scenario. Right. That's good. Okay. So I'm going to ask about failure. I know that anybody who's been in business for any amount of time or even life, failure happens, but it's never final or fatal. When you look back on it, there's always a lesson. So can you share something you failed at and the lesson you learned? Yeah, very simply. I uh, It was that first year, right? The first year, the second year, you know, it was as, uh, and I don't mean to sound, you know, old school here, but I felt a certain level of responsibility to be able to provide for my wife. And I remember very clearly, and uh, pardon me because it still chokes me up, 
my wife was probably about four months pregnant with my son Dylan and uh, we were still living with my parents and she asked me to go to the grocery store and get bread, milk and orange juice. Maybe she asked for eggs too and uh, I didn't have the money. I said, okay, well, you know what? Uh, we'll get it when my dad comes home. That's a that's definitely a, a hard thing for like anybody to to yeah. Yeah. So, so that was so. If I was to look at the low point in my life, or again that you know that turning point, it was that moment because it was one of those things where it was like I will never ever allow my family to feel this way again. Yeah, it still chokes me up a bit when I think back at it. We're in a very different place in our life now, thank God. Mm-hmm. And thank you to all the people that trust me with uh, with their biggest financial decision because, you know, I often look at it and I don't necessarily understand why I'm, I'm doing so well. I, I often say that I'm successful in spite of myself. My, my wife says that about me. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. yeah, that's awesome. So I knew we'd get along fine. You know, it's just one of those things where where that was the moment where the guilt associated with that nine years later still haunts me. So I, when did the corner turn? So what point was it? Okay, you had this low point. When did you realize I'm, I actually can do this? This is this is going to work. Like, do you remember a specific time or? Uh, yeah. So it was about two weeks later that the camp conference took place in uh, in Toronto, and uh, I'll say the name of the gentleman that was kind enough to introduce me. It's Albert Colu who is the outgoing president of Mortgage Architects now, but at the time he was running Ontario for the mortgage group. And uh, and Grant and company brought me on board. So it was at that camp conference because I literally went to that camp conference because I felt like such a failure as a broker that I should really look at reestablishing my relationships with lenders so I can go back to being a BDM. Right, because it's not like it was a bad gig. Uh, it was, you know, it was a great gig. It, it paid well, and you know, it, it paid well it, at that point in my life. It, it wouldn't be what I consider a good salary now, but it, it paid well. And I thought that you know what, this is what I have to go back to to be able to support this child that's on its way. Because, you know, again, I, I'm not. Go- I wasn't going to be in a situation where my son was going to be born, and I didn't know it was a boy, but I that my baby was going to come, and and its dad was going to be a chump. Uh, it just wasn't going to happen. And it was walking through the lobby at the Intercontinental in Toronto where I saw Albert and he was like, you know, where the hell have you been? You know, I didn't see you here last year. You've kind of dropped off the face of the earth. And I let him know that what I was up to from then on, I haven't looked back. You know, it's, it's amazing when people, what I find people's most precious currency is time. And the amount of knowledge that people have imparted to me and given me like mentorship, there's a, there's a gentleman, uh, there's a couple guys whose names I have to say, uh, Ranjit Dollywall, uh, Tom Hogg. These guys were ballers. Like they still are. These guys are the who's who of the industry. They know everything inside out. And even when I was just a BDM, the amount of time they would take out of their days to to help me with what I called the book of secrets where I was I was trying to understand what made them successful just the amount of time that these guys have given me over the years uh, even Trevor Daly the guy I've worked with for the last eight years you know they've always had time for me and, and it's not like they're sitting there giving me earth-shattering information but in understanding their thought process I learned a long time ago that pick a recipe and follow it like don't try and reinvent the wheel because you know if you're if you're following along the footsteps of people that are successful and you're following their recipe as long as you don't mess with their recipe it's really hard for you to screw up 
And, and I learned very basic things very easily. You know, the amount of realtors I talk to that become my new clients because and new referral sources because the person that they deal with regularly just hasn't returned their phone call. Like, can you imagine how simple a thing and how important a thing? Like, you know, a lot of times I think that people make the mistake of, and, you know, and this is actually from Tom Hogg while I was still with MCAP. He, he said that, you know, when you look at a mortgage file, yeah, you know what? It's a blue folder or a yellow folder sitting beside me. But you need to recognize that there's a family in every single one of those files. And, and those are people that are hanging by a thread wondering what's going on in their transaction. And if you can't take the time to just return their freaking phone call, then what are you doing here anyways? Like, you know, you're not just making yourself look bad. You're making us all look bad. And you're feeding right into the conversation of, you know, that bankers try and play with them saying that they need to be careful around us or, you know, are we truly acting in their best interest or are we more concerned with a commission? You know, all of those things start to creep into people's minds and and it can all be dealt with just by giving them a call and saying, hey, you know, we were expecting to hear by five o'clock today, but we haven't for X reason. And you know what? I'll totally follow up with you tomorrow. That person can go to sleep easy that night. They wake up tomorrow. You have their answer. Everything's fine. And and we all move on. But the amount of customers that I've gotten because people just don't do what they say they'll do. And and that's been kind of my mantra is that I I will not overpromise. I am not one of those people that'll say, "Oh, it's fine, just go for it." I am no way. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is this is somebody's most important financial decision in their life. This is something that has repercussions that will last on average at least 25 years via amortization. And I'm not going to be the one to give them crappy advice. I'm not going to be the guy that says, "Hey, you know, take this seven year because it's paying an extra 40 bips. I'm not going to be the guy that's going to sell them the mortgage that has a 3.25% penalty no matter when they break it or is, you know, a no frills product that they have no idea what they're getting into. And just because we give them a disclosure document and sign it, it doesn't mean that our moral obligation to the client has ended there. Mm-hmm. A client will never accuse me of having them be uninformed. So I, I've got to go back to something you had said about Albert. So what did Albert specifically, how did he help you turn the corner? So he opened the door to Royal LePage Niagara. Mm. So he was in the middle of establishing a relationship with uh, Brad Johnstone and uh, Margie Spence, Margie being the original. And he got me the interview. And again, depending on who's introducing you, it establishes a level of legitimacy that you may or may not have earned. Mm -hmm. And at that point, I was doing business, but not enough of it. And it was really being done on my background. The fact that I was a former lender and I worked for MCAP and, and and did good work there. I left on very good terms. I'm an ambassador plus broker there. Every time I can hit their button, I do. And uh, and that again comes back to the fact that, you know, that company gave me my start. And when I left in April of 2005, I had made it very clear that there would come a day where I'd be one of their best customers. And, I, and I'm very happy. You know, the first time I got invited to, uh, I actually got invited to New Orleans uh, by MCAP on their Ambassador Plus trip. And to have been in the same room as guys that used to be my customers. And I'll, I'll never call myself their peer because these guys are ahead of the curve on me. I'm, I'm just walking behind. But to have been in the same room was, it was kind of like vindication, you know, where you finally feel like these guys knew me when I was a pup driving a Mustang. Mm-hmm. 
and you know they saw something in me and they took their time out for me i didn't waste that time i didn't waste their efforts now that was at i was probably doing about 25 mil at the time 2025 and uh, last year we got very close to 40 this year we should eclipse 40 and even then people you know i remember being invited to a broker panel when i was that's probably at about 10 or 15 million dollars in volume and speaking at the front and somebody said, uh, why are you so successful? And I laughed. I was like, if you think 15 million is successful, I'm like, you really need to reanalyze what success means to you. Mm-hmm. Because for me, that's that's ridiculous. And uh, I remember, uh, so I, I fulfilled the role of RVP for a while for Dominion Lending and Trevor Daly's company. And I remember getting a phone call from somebody that worked for another brokerage uh, who was looking for a better split. When I asked him how much volume he did, he, he gave me about 10 excuses and then said $6 million. And when I spoke to him and I was like, okay, well, you know what, about $6 million, you obviously need some assistance and some training. So we'd probably be willing to approach it on uh, a 70-30 split. And he laughed at me. Mm-hmm. And he said, buddy, he's like, I'm looking for 95.5. And I said, at $6 million, sir, I'm like, if you're looking at 95.5, I'm like, I got to tell you something. I did 30 last year and I worked for 8911. Mm-hmm. And the guy laughed. He's like, nobody does 30 million uh, on their own. And, and I laughed back and I told him to open CMP and ask if he saw my picture there. So, uh, my point in that, so even where I am today, like, like I feel so fortunate to have been invited to your podcast. I, I think it's totally awesome. Uh, but I don't consider myself successful. It's the journey, man. You've already said it, right? It's about, yeah, it's, it's all, you know, the end game. I don't, I don't know what the end game is. My wife will often say, she's like, what is it? 10 million. She's like, but then when you get to 10, you'll want 20. And it's not that it's just that if you're not grinding, then what the hell are you doing? Mm -hmm. That's good. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to finish with this last question. The DeLorean question. You remember the movie back to the future? Of course I do. So uh, if I put you in the car, send you back to when you first started as a mortgage broker and you could give yourself three pieces of advice to have a bigger, better business today, what would you tell yourself? Get the hell out of the basement. So I, uh, I was working from my parents' basement and I, I'd also tell myself to invest in marketing. Even today, I don't do a lot of outside marketing. I, I'm, you know, I often joke with people and say I should have been born in the 50s and done my business in the 70s, 80s and 90s because I, I'm a little old school that way. I'm, I'm still all about the handshake. And our business is moving to an area where more often than not, we don't even meet our clients, right? It's just an internet relationship. And that's the one thing I'm really excited about having this off is that it'll be a place for people to be able to come and relax. But yeah, to, to past me, yeah, I would, I would tell myself to get the hell out of the basement uh, and get into a proper office environment and to not rely on my past to predict my future. You know, again, Uh, I've said it before, I'll say it again. A a lot of times I feel like the the growth I experience is in spite of myself, not because of myself. And that for me to truly get to where I want to go, I'm at the point now where I have to become more efficient and I have to be willing to hand things off to people and not be so much of a control freak and to rely on other professionals, right? So again, maybe coming from my old school mentality, it's always been difficult for me to invest in stuff like SEO because I don't understand it. And if I don't understand it, how do I feel like I know what I'm paying for? Mm -hmm. So, you know, to that effect, here I am training myself in SEO, right? Where I can, I can have a conversation or, or, you know, WordPress websites. You know, if somebody had said WordPress to me 
shoot, 120 days ago, I would have been, you could have said anything you wanted to me because I had no knowledge of the topic. And for me, when I don't have enough knowledge in a certain area, I shy away from it. And if anything, moving forward, my my goal is to dive headfirst into those areas. Right. Keep learning. So, dude, this has been awesome to get to know you more and hear your story. So where can people find you online? Uh, sure. So I'm going to let you know. So we have a website called alwaysbeatthebank.com. And then also uh, very soon you'll be able to tune into a website called Pardon me, uh, circlemortgage.ca. Circle is a new venture for me, and it's a uh, it's really a holistic approach to the mortgage transaction. So, if you're just, if I may, in quick closing, and hopefully we can add this to the podcast because I'll have my license by then. But the thing with Circle Mortgage is, is that we want to make everybody's lives better, one home at a time. So there will be a percentage of each transaction where the client gets to uh, pick what charity we're donating to in their local community. And, you know, again, to some people it might be cheesy, but for me it's like we're so fortunate to do what we do and to help people the way we do and not charge them for it. Right. So, totally. so we work in an industry where, you know, we do the work for free and oh, by the way, you get the best rate available. Oh, by the way, we helped you navigate the terms of the mortgage. Oh, by the way, you'll never get screwed by an IRD penalty in my product. Mm-hmm. And it only takes one person moving halfway through a transaction at a big bank to, to realize what we're talking about there. So uh, with our newest incarnation, circlemortgage.ca and Circle Mortgage Group. Uh, we'll be bringing on agents with a similar mentality, but we've established a couple of things that'll help realtors with their taxes a little bit and expanding their own knowledge base on what we do uh, because I don't believe enough realtors uh, actually engage their clients in a meaningful conversation on the mortgage side of things. And then, um, yeah, so circlemortgage.ca is the place to really find us. There's not a lot of Jeevan Sangeras in Canada or in the world, to be uh, to be honest. So if you're on Facebook or anything, it's Jeevan, J-I-V-A-N. And then uh, even if you put Jeevan Mortgage, you'll find me. But Jeevan Sangera, uh, I'm pretty easy to find. I have public Facebook. Uh, there's not a lot to hide about me. Awesome. And anybody listening can get links and show notes, everything that we talked about here today at ilovemortgagebroking.com. Jeevan, man, I appreciate your time today, and I hope you continue to crush it. Oh, I appreciate You know what, man? Uh, it was such a pleasure meeting you when you're in town. Uh, well, I think camp's in BC this year, but we're having another baby, so I won't be there. The year after, when we're in Niagara Falls, we'll definitely have to have a plane. Definitely. Cheers, man. Thanks for listening. If you like the show, please head on over to iTunes and leave us a review. If you do, you'll get three deals in the next week. Okay, that's not entirely true, but we'd really appreciate it. Also, you can check out everything at ilovemortgagebrokering.com. See you next week.